0: Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. And I'm so glad to have you. I love that we do this on Mondays. I don't know about you, but Mondays are kind of always a little bit my hot mess day. So this is just a lovely break on my Mondays. I kind of love it. So today I am welcoming Nina Burgo. Nina, did I say it right? Yes, Burgo's. That's right. Burgo's. Okay. Nina is an attorney at the Dab Doob. Did I say that right? That's right. Yeah, I you did. did. I just love that name, Dabdub. Dabdub Law Firm, Disability Insurance, and ERISA Attorneys. She is also an adjunct professor for legal skills and writing at Florida International University. And she is chief of arts education and outreach at the Thomas Armour Youth Ballet. I think that was your past position. Is that correct? That's correct. That is correct. Yes. Very cool. I can't wait to talk to you about that. I love your interest in the arts. That's kind of fascinating. Well, first, just welcome and thank you for joining me.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And this is a welcome uh, break from the demand letter I was writing already today. So I appreciate appreciate
0: (laughs) it. Absolutely. Well, i love to start out and just find out a little bit about you and what makes you a mom. Like just who's in your family? What does your home life look like? Let's just talk about that for a minute.
1: Sure, okay, so I am a mom of one right now, actually soon to be two. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> um, thank you, My our oldest, it was a surprise, our oldest turns 12 on Sunday. So then, yeah, big gap between the kids. Um, I've been married to my husband since 2006. We've been together a long time. We met in college, we're college sweethearts. And so that's our little family. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Well, when's the baby due? And do you
1: know if it's a girl or a boy? So yeah, the baby's due in August, the beginning of
0: August, and we're very excited to be having a boy. So that is so awesome. Well, I'm so excited for you. It's very different, girls and boys, very different.
1: (laughs) I heard. Wasn't planning on announcing that on a Facebook Live, but you know, it just kind of came out. So.
0: Well, hopefully you'll have time to get the news out to all your peeps, you know, before yeah, I, this the I podcast <laughs> goes out. There you go. It's no worries. <laughs> well, I just love that. Well, tell me a little bit about, I mean, when you think of motherhood and, you know, like you said, you do have this big gap. What have you learned and what are you going to bring to this new child that maybe, you know, you didn't know or is new to what you're thinking from when you had the other one 12 years ago? That's a good question. So I think that this time around, it's a different scenario.
1: When we had our daughter the first time around, we were in the middle of a recession. Our life was very different. I actually started law school after she was six months old, because apparently I thought that was a good idea to be nursing a baby and in law school in the evening. So, you know, cause that's the best way to go to law school. So it was a very interesting time. Uh, what I did learn during that process is that it really does take a village to raise a child, right? Mm-hmm. A mom doesn't do it alone. The grandparents on both sides, thankfully we have them here locally in Miami, helped us tremendously. And so that was very helpful. I'm looking forward to experiencing that again with the second one. And I think I'm hoping to try to, and I'm sure other moms like this, try to slow down, which is very hard to do, you know, but try to slow down and kind of, since I kind of know what to expect a little bit now, because I've already had it before, and there was a long time ago, and I likely will get amnesia, try to slow down and appreciate the time, because it really does fly by. I feel like we just brought my daughter home from the hospital. When we left the hospital, my husband and I looked at each other and we said, there's no manual, they're just gonna let us leave with this little one here in the car, like that's it. We, we got to leave and she's turning 12 next weekend. So I think it's just appreciating those, that time and enjoying it and just, you know, kind of rolling, I think I would roll with the punches a little bit better than I did as a first time mom. I'm expecting that, you know.
0: Oh, I think so too. I have to tell you, I think having that big gap, obviously, every situation is different and they all bring Mm -hmm. pros and cons, of course. Mm -hmm. But having that gap, I just think the wisdom and perspective that you will Mm -hmm. bring to this new child is going to kind of be game changing for your family.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: (laughs) I hope so. Oh, I really think so. I mean, I can't wait to watch this journey for you because I think, and I love your ideas of slowing down. And just kind of rolling with things because as, I mean, you may or may not know, I am a mom of a bunch, a, a biological mom of four, step-mom of two. We have, our youngest is 19. And I literally feel like it just all went by in kind of a blink of an eye. And ours were yeah. just like stair-step kids. Yeah, so I yeah. barely had time to learn, you know, new skills Anything. from kid to kid, <laughs> you know, it was just like, okay, they're all still alive. So I'm running right. mom game. <laughs> that's so, hilarious yeah. that's how I picture
1: it so i that that having children like one after that's what I picture is everybody did I count the heads
0: properly is already dressed and fed and alive all right we're good you know let's, let's keep it moving I mean yeah. literally there were more days than I care to admit where I got in the car and I'm like okay did we count everybody you know <laughs> and I'm like okay we're all good this was a totally successful thing God knows what we right. just did but we're all returning right. home so it's all right. fine Right. Well, Home Alone made three movies about that concept. Right. So (laughs) we actually had a friend a long time ago. I mean, we're still friends, but they live in California now and they had five children and their youngest had Down syndrome. And one day and he was a minister at the church we went to in New Orleans. And one day, all of a sudden they're there and they realize they didn't have her with them. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And she was just at home. And so they have to like, you know, they lived like, I don't know, a minute from the place. Yeah. So they were able to go home. But it was one of those things that as a parent, I mean, every single one of us felt oh, yeah. that, oh, yeah, I could have done that. Like, of course. Right. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was That's... pretty, it was pretty funny. But it brings a sense of, I don't know, just vulnerability and authenticity to the reality. Yeah of parenting. I mean, because it is just, you know, every day is kind of an adventure. And wow. Well, I just think that's awesome. Is your daughter excited? She is. At first, she was a little shocked
1: because, you know, yeah. she pictured herself as an only child and we did too. So we kind of had the whole, you yeah know, she went through all those steps of grief, you know, like first she was in denial and then she went through all of the steps and then she's on the other side. She's super excited, very happy. But I was a little scared, to be honest, to tell her because it's oh, a yeah. big deal. It's a big change, you know? So, you know, it was a lot of prayer and I was like, all right, let me figure out the wisdom, the best way to talk to her about it and have her work through it. And, and she's very excited. She was able to go through those thought process and emotions, which I think helped. Cause we're, you know, we, I grew, I'm Hispanic and we're Latin, you know, another culture that like Latinos, it's like, well, that's what it is and get over it. Like be quiet, you know, give you a reason to cry kind of way that we grow up culturally. And so I said, no, let me kind of walk her through this and ask whatever questions and have all the feelings and that's okay. Right. Right. And and now she like talked to my belly
0: button, like, hello, how's it going in there? You know, we're waiting for you. So it's really nice. That's amazing. I have to say, I had a nanny when our children were little and she was Latina as well. And she had, I mean, just some real wisdom. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that she brought into my world. And I literally, I can't tell you how appreciative I am. You know how when you, well, you might not know yet. I mean, you might Mm -hmm. see this or you might've seen it with friends or family. When you have a child, then you bring another one home. A lot of parents tend to be like super nervous and they don't really want the other child to touch the baby and they Mm -hmm. you know, kind of protect the baby. Mm -hmm. And she, Rosa, was the exact opposite. She encouraged me so much. To share the baby with his mm-hmm. older sister, so my mm-hmm. oldest was almost two years older, so I mean we 're talking a really young child Flip. as well yeah. you know yeah, but she just encouraged me so much to never put up that barrier and never mm-hmm. you know act like she was doing something wrong or that you know mm-hmm. just to really embrace their bond and Boy, I cannot tell you what powerful advice that was. And I mean, to tell you that my daughter has been the most amazing big sister to her three younger Mm. brothers is, I mean, truly an understatement. Like- That's beautiful. And she had one younger brother who was, you know, the baby. So he was like, I don't know, six or seven years younger than her. And I mean, he literally still to this day, you know, really looks to her- for a lot of I mean real wisdom do you know what I mean and that's beautiful that's awesome and they have such a unique relationship so I just really encourage you to kind of let her roll with it as she wants and you know and to be able to forge that bond because that sibling bond and theirs is going to be so unique you know because of that age difference is powerful I mean, it is a yeah. powerful bond. And so I'm really excited for you. I just think this is awesome. Well,
1: thank you. From your lips to God's ears, I pray about that. Like, let them have
0: a, you know, a good bond. Because Absolutely. You know. Well, it so. is important. And it's funny because we used to like plan these whole elaborate Saturday morning things so that we would just bring my older daughter, you know, so we mm-hmm. didn't have to bring the baby because he definitely was colicky. He would cry. Yeah. And we went to a few of our little Saturday things alone. And then one day she just put her foot down and she was like, why are we leaving the baby? Like I want Ian to come. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, he's, you know, he cries. And I just thought it might be nice for you to have one-on-one time. She's like, no, it's mean. I mean, she was just like, we're not leaving the baby. And so we stopped our Saturday morning things and we started just doing them all together. And yeah. I mean, you know, whereas I would have pressed that. But then I did other things. I got to the point where I would pick her up from school every day at three. And we would have this little like two hour time together every day. Mm. We would go to, like, you know, get ice cream after school or go get her nails, done, you know, just whatever. Yeah. But it was yeah. a really special time. And that didn't feel as bad to her because, you know, she was just going from school to somewhere right. else. She didn't see him. She wasn't leaving him. So yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to deal with all those dynamics. And, well, I think it's wonderful. I just love that. We haven't had somebody on (laughs) pregnant, having another baby. That's just very exciting. (laughs) Okay, so we'll get back and we'll talk to like practical. I guess things. we'll have to talk about the law at some point. Right. Yeah, I mean, silly old stuff. the law. Well, tell us about your passion. Tell us about your firm. I know you're juggling both practicing law and running a firm with your partner. Yeah. I mean, tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So we're a disability insurance and ERISA firm.
1: We represent plaintiffs only. So all of our clients are disabled and we represent from the local lunch lady at your local public school, all the way to executives at Fortune 500 companies and everything in between, doctors, lawyers, you know, truck drivers. And we practice under a federal law known as ERISA, which governs 80 to 90% of American workers, right? Most people don't even know what ERISA is or what it stands for, which is fine because that's not their job. That's mine, right? So I got hired at this firm fresh out of law school. I always joke and I tell the partner that he kind of like found me on the sidewalk and decided to hire me as an attorney, and you know became a partner last year. And it's a good little firm. We started off small and we're growing exponentially, which is great. We play hard, but we work hard too, which I'm sure a lot of people say that we're younger. For most of us, are you know in our mid to you know, mid 40s or younger, which is exciting and they were very collaborative which is great you know there's a lot of teamwork going on with the attorneys a lot of uh, speaking back and forth when it comes to case strategy and things like that so it's a very great culture that I could not be in a better place to be honest with you especially when I started my daughter turned four when I graduated my commencement so I started with a little one. And, you know, that has its own challenges as well. You know, so yeah. I was trying to figure out where to go work. I was an evening student when I was in law school. So not your typical mm-hmm. applicant candidate. You know, I'm a second career attorney. I used to work in the nonprofit sector, which you can talk about that, you know, a little bit later if you want. I have a classically trained dancer background. So all this like not normal trajectory of the law. And it's just been great, you know, going in there. And I do a good work which I'm very happy about. You know, we go up against insurance carriers when they don't want to pay, you know? So all the big naming carriers, we work, step in when somebody becomes sick or injured to get their claim paid because they get benefits, a portion of their salary because they can't work. And if that claim isn't approved, then we handle the pre-suit appeal process or we end up in litigation all the way to the appellate level. So, and no, since you- we're up... Mm-hmm, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I did not mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I wanted to do one last thing. We have, um, since the federal law, we have a nationwide practice We have clients across the country.
0: That's what I was going to say. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. That's so <laughs> There you go. <laughs> you just read my mind. Well, that's amazing. I love that. I mean, in listening to you talk about your collaborative culture, I mean, tell us more about that. That is something I feel so passionate about is the culture in law firms. And Mm -hmm. there's some real culture issues. I mean, I listen to people all the time talk about their team in terms almost of as a commodity, like the people Mm -hmm. are a commodity. And it just kind of makes me bristle. I think of it very differently. I think of the money we earn as a firm. That is the commodity that can be mm-hmm. used to maximize my team. Yeah. So I'd be really interested to hear more about your culture. How are you all developing that? How do you communicate that around? Sure. So we start off small.
1: When I was hired, I was the third attorney, including the partner at the time. Now we're at seven attorneys. And I think between attorney and staff like at 25 so we've grown significantly from when we first started and when i initially started since we were so small we were able to kind of work together and since it was a smaller firm things were kind of you know you're smaller things are kind of loose and not really formalized so over the years we've been able to kind of formalize things i mean we weren't even electronic at the time like there was a file room with papers and files an entire room dedicated to that so what we established with one of the attorneys that was there at the time is we started having regular meetings to go with our assistants to go over our cases you know and then we started doing like kind of the the hallway water cooler talks, like, hey, I have this case where this happened, you know, what do you think? And then it got to a point where we would just literally walking to each other's office and say, I have this case right now. you like, what would you do? This is what I'm thinking. And it just kind of became a natural thing. As we've grown and with COVID, right, it was kind of complicated because people are in the office, we started then setting up like attorney happy hours, we can hang out together and talk about cases and strategize. Mm-hmm. We also are really good about when we share our successes and we also share our losses are like our learning situations as well. You know, so yeah. if, if we have an associate that got a really good result on a case, we say, hey, that was really good. Once you send it to all the attorneys and attach the documentation to talk about, it, because if you've come into this issue, then somebody else is going to as well. Absolutely. And since our practice is so narrow, I always say our, my practice is an inch wide and a mile deep. You're not going to hit every single issue all the time. So something that I've dealt with before, the person next to me may not have dealt and vice versa. So we always say, have you run into this issue before? Or, or yes, there's an issue Nina's ran into it or so-and-so go talk to them because they handled it this way and go see what they did. And we try to keep that going from the partner all the way up to the new associates and across the board. So, and it's worked for us.
0: Yeah. So, you know, It's amazing. I think that your idea of collaboration I mean, this is something that I have to say, like, swirls around in my head a lot is, you know how law school is really set up, I mean, really all colleges too, Mm -hmm. but I mean, just from the beginning, even applying to law school, like people who, you know, don't have certain like pedigree, you know, like schools Mm -hmm. they went to or grades, they're made to think like, you know, you can't even apply to certain schools and, you know, it's this just... I mean, I consider it very much like a caste system. It is Mm -hmm. so offensive to me. Mm -hmm. And the level of competition that exists and is encouraged and, you Mm -hmm. know, just part of the deal, I think is absolutely horrendous. And I think it is the beginning of all of the mental health issues in the law. Like, I think we should all be collaborating. (laughs) Like, I agree. thought that we pit associates against each other you know who build the most hours like that's somehow some good competition and yeah. I, i'm like could we look at what they actually did what's going on in their lives maybe there's a reason one associate build a ton more hours than another maybe they're trying to plan a vacation or maybe right. the other person is dealing with a sick spouse or a sick right. child or a right. sick i mean I just think collaboration should be the main word in lawyers' heads and in law firms' minds, rather than competition. And it sounds like you all have mastered that.
1: Yeah, I think, and it works, you know, for us. Well, I think it also takes a certain kind of personality too. You know, like some personalities mm-hmm. are just more competitive than others. And not that I'm not competitive. I you was know, a former dancer, so yeah. competition is there. But I also, since I'm a former dancer, had to work in a team group, right? And the way we do things at the firm is if there's a big case at the firm. A partner usually works on it with that attorney. And if yeah. there's a really big case, since we're small, sometimes we get every more than one attorney on it, you know? And if let's yeah. say we're briefing and there's motion practice, we want to be uniform. And so sometimes we all jump in and take pieces of it to make sure because we all sink or swim together because a good result for our client is a good result for the firm and is a good result for our area of law because we ours is federal common law. We get to change yeah. the law over time. So to us it's really important to go all in and go all in sometimes means all hands on deck and that's
0: okay, you know? Absolutely. Oh yeah. I feel the same way. And I mean, we've had, you know, if you follow me at all on social media, you realize January was kind of a hot mess month for us. We just blew up with cases. We had sick Mm -hmm. people. I mean, it's just a wild month. We have been wild, like all of us with our hair on fire. But that being said, I mean, we have been so just all hands on deck. I mean, people, Everyone is offering to help in areas that are not their area, you know, like the marketing director is dealing with an angry client or, yeah. you know, the a paralegal is, you know, doing intake calls. I mean, just yeah. everybody is just pitching in and helping knowing like that's, I mean, that's what makes us the strongest is that right. mindset of right. collaboration. Yeah. I love hearing that. Oh, and I just, I love the practice area too. I mean, I just, I think these really niche down practice areas, I mean, you really can become an expert in such, like you said, this inch wide and mile deep. I mean, tell us kind of what spurred on your interest in disability work. That's funny. So it's interesting. I
1: kind of fell into it, to be honest with you. I didn't know what Arissa was when I interviewed for the job. I was actually, honestly, um, I had just graduated from law school and mm-hmm. was leaving my current job and looking for work. So I was literally handing out my resume like hotcakes to everybody, to anybody that knew, because if people don't know that you're looking for work then you can't get hired. So and and interestingly enough, the way I got the job and then I'll, I'll, I'll teeter back to the your original question was my boss at the time's wife's daughter was going to the dance school that I was teaching at the nonprofit school. And she was one of the people that I was, that knew I was in law school and had graduated. And she said, you know, I, um, I love telling this story. She's like, you know, my husband runs a firm, you know, he had another partner at the time that then broke away. Like, and he's looking to a Spanish firm. Like I'll tell he's hiring. I'll tell him about you. And I was like, Nope, I'll give you one better. And I literally did a 180, walked into the office, printed out my resume, put it in an envelope and handed it to her and said, please give this to him. And she said, okay, I will. And I got a call a couple of weeks later and interviewed and we hit it off. And then I had a second interview and then I got hired. It's, you know, haven't looked back ever since. So that's kind of how I ended up with this firm I while I was interviewing that. at other places. You know, they weren't offering me the highest salary of my offers. But when I sat in that interview, just my gut told me, like, this yeah. is the place I need to work at. And we took a chance on each other because at the time. He wasn't looking for an attorney. I wanted to hire a paralegal. He ended up hiring me and I ended up taking a chance on the job. And thank God, you right. know, it's worked out well. But interestingly enough, my father-in-law has myasthenia gravis, which is a muscle disorder. It's like the cousin of muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. And he became disabled at 28. And so interestingly enough, I actually have disability close to me in my family. So when I met my husband, I never heard about this condition. You know, my father-in-law, I've seen him over the years. And so it's almost like it was kind of, you know, meant to be almost because I ended up falling into this practice with somebody directly related to me and other family members on my husband's side who have uh, some type of medical disability. So my father law has been disabled and on disability for probably 30 years. He's in his sixties now. That's yeah. amazing. Like I you can't make that. this thing happen, you know? The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and
0: podcasts and video. We are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time.
1: As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the
0: Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. And I love that your dance helped bring you to your work. I just think that's amazing too. Tell us about your dance. I know you're a classically trained ballet dancer, but also I think you do other dance. I mean, tell us about your, I call it your unicorn space. Tell (laughs) us about that.
1: Yeah. So I've been out of my unicorn space for a little bit, unfortunately, but yes. So I grew up down here in, in Miami. I was born in Latin America. I was Chilean born but we came here to the States many years ago and I grew up in the magnet gifted program. So yeah. I'm trained in classical ballet, contemporary, like when you think of like Alvin Ailey and Lamone mm-hmm. and Parsons, yes. that contemporary dance and flamenco actually. So yes. I went through that and I danced my entire study. So all the way through high school, I went to the local performing arts high school down here in Miami, New Old School of the Arts, which cranked out, amazing people. Yeah. Um, some who become doctors, lawyers, others who have won Oscars, you know, and right. Emmys and everything in between. And then after I worked at a that nonprofit that Thomas Armour Youth really Building now called Armour Dance Theater, that it's a nonprofit that goes into underserved neighborhoods and provides high quality dance programming to the kids because oh. kids that can afford classes have a leg up. You know, oh, yeah. no pun intended, right? When it comes to training, right? And so it's hard, you know, it's yeah. harder to get in. So somebody could be completely talented and not have access to that quality dance. And so they go out and do that. So that's where I worked for several years, both on the administrative side and the teaching side. But I also danced, you know, professionally as well for a bit with a local company down here and did some touring. We went to the International Ballet Festival up in Vail and danced for some former presidents and things like that. So it's been, I mean, my dance career, once a dancer, always a dancer, it never goes away,
0: you know? (laughs) Absolutely. That's amazing. I love that. Is your husband a dancer too? No, but he's a musician. So, you know, he was on the arts as well. Okay, good. (laughs) And
1: and so since I do miss my unicorn space. Like you say, I I don't, I haven't danced in a while. You know, I haven't taken classes. I did after I, you know, but once, once you have a baby and then law school is just kind of complicated. I still, you know, stay fit, but not that way that the schedule just doesn't work for me. But what I do now, which makes me feel more connect, still connected to the arts is I sit on boards, right? I sit on arts boards and then I also sit on a board at, at the city here where I live and that's specifically to cultural development. So I stay in the arts on the other side, right? Right. Reading grants, um, you know, helping push for, for arts advocacy and things like that. So I still feel like I'm part of that community.
0: That's amazing. Now is your daughter, does she show any interest in
1: dance yet? Oh, yeah. So she actually does dance and she did the Nutcracker in November. I mean, December Uh rather. But her thing is visual art. So I'm not sure how much longer she's going to do that. But for her Mm -hmm. visual art is her art. And, you know, that's okay. I told her, you know, mommy was a dancer.
0: You don't have to be a dancer. If you're good at art, go do art, you know. So we'll we'll see how that goes. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, yeah. Kids should explore all the things, I think. Yep. Yeah yeah, 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 That's wonderful. So, what is the visual art that she's most interested in? Does she know yet? She doesn't know yet, but she does ever since she was little, she was very good with like manipulatives
1: and creating yeah. miniatures and she likes to sketch. And so she's wow. kind of exploring different types of mediums until she kind of figures out what she likes. So that's amazing. She's very I good. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah y'all not obviously- because she's, my daughter, she's actually very good. <laughs> <laughs> y'all clearly have creative genes in your family for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, the artists, that's who we look to,
1: right? When things go bad, who do we turn to, right? The Absolutely. authors, the musicians, the dancers, the actors. We need artists in our lives. We really Absolutely.
0: do. Well, I have to tell you, and I don't know if you've read, I mean, have you read this book, The Find Your Unicorn Space? By I have not read it, but I've heard about it. Oh, it is really an amazing book. And it's a really easy read. It's funny, but it's such a good read. But I mean, I think you bring up such a great point about, Where do we turn? And it is to creatives. And I think that we, a lot of times, especially lawyers, we get pretty drilled in into our law Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and we kind of lose track of that creative side. And I think that Eve's book, Find Your Unicorn Space, really is a great, it's just a great way to rethink about what are you doing with your free time and how are you exploring your creative side? And obviously it doesn't have to be actual art. I mean, it can be things like you're talking about maybe serving on a board and doing something, you know, in an area that you're passionate about, it can be all kinds of things, Mm -hmm. but I think it is so important because I know how Eve talks about it as well. We kind of lose ourselves in all the busyness of either being a parent a professional, or a partner, and we kind of get boring. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Because yes. <laughs> we lose that interesting side of ourselves. And so I love that you, you know, have, have done this and then also stay involved in the arts and also encourage your daughter in that. I mean, I think it's so important. It really is. I mean,
1: the arts have, is always going to be in my heart, you know, forever. It's, it's it's part of my identity, you know, transitioning from the arts to yeah. Well, I, I always kind of thought about going to law school, but I wasn't one of those like, I'm going to be a lawyer. You know, some people know what? if they're going to be a lawyer. It just wasn't that it just kind of morphed into that. But especially people who were artists at some point in their life, especially if you were competitive or full fledged, it's part of your identity. It's part of your DNA. And then when you transition to something else, it's all, there's almost like a grieving process to kind That's of figure weird. out. Okay, where do I sit in this space now that I was so involved in before that I still be a part of, but not exactly the same in that. That's a struggle too, you know.
0: It is, Uh, or it can be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I have found traversing the cycles of life and, you Mm -hmm. know, the different cycles you're in. And I mean, obviously you're about to, you know, go traverse back to a cycle (laughs) that, you know, you thought maybe was over and here you are, you know, doing it again and probably with some amazing just wisdom, which I think is so cool. But I mean, I think we have to really embrace those different cycles of life and realize that things do look differently in, you know, what you can do when you've got a baby versus what you can do with a 12-year-old and a baby versus, you know, what you can do with a 24-year-old and a 12-year-old. Like, it's all going to look different. Yep. And yeah, yeah. I just think, yeah, I think it's so important to keep our minds open to our creative sides and realize how important they are to our legal brains, you know, having that time where we're opening our minds and opening our brains to new things, I think helps us solve problems in all the areas of our lives. I mean, I have found major aha moments when I'm doing some weird stuff. Like, you know, I might be out looking for orca whales, which I love to do. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I just thought of this. And, you know, then I have to like quickly get on my phone and put a note in Clio and make sure I don't lose my thought. But yeah, I think you can solve a lot of problems.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, the artists are, their problem solvers as well, right? Just in a oh, different yeah. way right? and very yeah. creative, right? There, there's an issue or something to put together and and you present it in a different way. So I think it's a, it's, people should think about artists more when it comes to hiring and, and putting them
0: in to work
1: because they have a huge asset that they bring to the table.
0: I love that. Well, I was about to ask you, I mean, if you had one thing that you think about for your firm that, you know, maybe you all are working on or you're wanting to implement or think about what would it be? Like, what is the one thing you all are kind of focused on now in 2022?
1: On uh, the firm, we're focused right now on um, making sure we keep like the fidelity of our legal work pure, because since we're growing, there's that, you know, kind of oh, a yeah. pull between, you know, keeping your work you know, the high quality serving the clients in a way that gets the best result, while also simultaneously growing, you know, and so that can be a little bit sort of feeling that kind of those little growing pains. And honestly, what our vision has always been is to be the best disability from country, you know, and get the best results for our clients. And, yeah. and whether that's, you know, getting good settlement results, or getting good borders from the court, or whatever that is, you know, whatever that encompasses, you know, and really kind of, Really honing in on the law and really knowing it, like breathing the law to be able to serve our clients better. Right.
0: Now, is there something that, I mean, I think as a law firm owner, like I run a family law firm in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how many people we are right at this moment. We keep Mm -hmm. hiring like crazy, but in the 40 ish, you know, mid 40 ish range, is there things that as a law firm owner, I should be thinking about with regard to ERISA long-term disability, you know, is there educational stuff that I need to think and implement that I'm not probably?
1: <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. So on the employer side, right, you know, Arissa is very stringent, right? And right. with the insurance carrier, you know, it's a fiduciary relationship. Right. So the carrier, uh, you know, unless somebody self-funds, the company self-funds, which are typically just larger companies, most employers, you know, hire and get a policy issued, right. you know, transparency and notice so that the employees know, you know, what, what their benefits are. And then once a claim happens, the insurance carrier is the one that bears the brunt of being a fiduciary and acting in the best interest of the beneficiary, which in that case are your employees, right. you know. And so, I mean, I think as an employer, just making sure you're in compliance, right, right. With, with all the ERISA requirements. And since I don't do it on the employer side, I'm sure there's things that the employers think about I need to, to be compliant with. But at least on the, on the claimant side, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it has to do with timelines on the insurance carrier side when it comes to making determinations, making determinations in a way that is neutral and in the best interest of the claimant, because that's right. what they're supposed to do as a, as a fiduciary under, under the law.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. This makes me think I should contact my carrier and you know, just talk to them more. And I don't know, it just seems like there's, you know, I don't know. I'm always that person that is looking for, you know, what am I do I not know that I should know and need to, right. know, you know? Yeah. What um, I would do if
1: I were as an employer, I'm sorry to interrupt, is I would contact your carrier, just understand what you're offering. Cause sometimes An employer thinks they're offering one benefit, but when you actually look at the policy, it's not really what you think you're offering because of, for example, group policies offset everything, including the kitchen sink. So typically employers are charged a premium based on the employee's salary right? Like what they make, it's a percentage of their salary. Right. But then when the person actually goes to file, there may be some kind of limitation in there. You know, for a lot of attorneys, limitations is like a reduction in there. So most people's group policies is a percentage of their prior income, inclusive of other income that results from their disability. So for example, social security disability right. is considered other income. So somebody's social security ward could reduce their right. benefit from the insurer by half, depending on right. what that amount is. You know, things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which you
1: don't realize, you know, or no. if they come into an accident, and there's a third party, you know, settlement having to do with it. That could reduce your income right. as well. A lot of these policies, when we talked about, you know, attorneys and mental health and stuff, a lot of these policies have mental health limitations, you know, which huh. is not against the law. But most of these group policies have a mental health limitation. If somebody's disabled from a mental health disability as opposed to a physical one, their benefits may be limited to two years, right, for their lifetime. As opposed to yes, yeah, it's pretty shocking, but it's true, and it's pretty typical across insurance carriers. Um, That's horrible. So there's different policies that can be, you know, purchased and you know offered depending on the carrier, but those are pretty typical. Like the standard ones typically have a mental health limitation. They have offsets. Um, they may have other limitations, specific disabilities that you're not thinking of. So it's good to get a copy of that policy yeah. just to kind of see what your employees
0: may be dealing with, you know, God forbid they have to file. Right. Absolutely. Because most people know. understand
1: that, yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: well, no, and you've given us all so much to think about. I really appreciate that. I mean, sure. I think, and that I think is one of the biggest benefits when I know you and I spoke before about Maximum Lawyer and the Maximum Lawyer Guild program, mm-hmm. just that ability to share this, you know, kind of high level information mm-hmm. that helps law firm owners not kind of step in a, a a hole that they don't even know they're stepping in. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much to running a business. And I think mm-hmm. so many of us hang a shingle and then we kind of learn as we go, which as I think go. is yeah. super common. And yeah. But all of a sudden you get to a certain size and I mean, yeah. the game changes, like all That's right. kinds of things That's now right. become material. And it is. Yeah, I, I have found the education part of the Guild and the Maximum Lawyer Group to just be invaluable in, you know, understanding more and more about what do I need to know and, you know, what professionals might I need to be reaching out to to get those answers. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: part, one part of being smart is knowing you don't know everything, right? So you pick up the phone, call somebody who knows better than you do. I mean, I, family law, I will not touch it. I'll say I don't I know enough to know I don't know about family law. Ask so and so because right. I'm not going to touch that because Barissa, exactly. I'll handle it. But other stuff? No, no, thank you. Because I don't right. know it. I just don't. And I'm not
0: going to pretend that I do. No, it's a thing <laughs> I was thinking recently, somebody uh, we were talking and You know, um, Jim and Tyson on their Maximum Lawyer podcast always Mm -hmm. end with kind of like, you know, what hack do you have? Like, what, you know, what thing could you offer? And I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to offer our own like Maximum Mom magic. And you just nailed mine. Like the whole idea Mm -hmm. of realizing what I suck at and delegating it. That's right. I embrace it fully. All the stuff I don't know. I mean, I'm That's in right. my blonde self regularly, and I'm just like, sorry, don't know that. We're gonna have to hire somebody who does yeah. know that. And I mean, it's what would not you for say? That, right? Yeah. <laughs> what would you say? Do you have a maximum mom magic trick you
1: use? That's a good question. I've been trying to, and this has taken me years to get to this point, to not do everything, which is kind of a kind of a segue to that. Like, one thing is no thinking you know everything. I think is. Doing things or you can do it, but should you do it right? Like, yeah. is this the most efficient use of my time, or is this the you know, am I do I really need to do this, or can I have somebody else do this? I right. know, like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyway. So, it took me so long to hire somebody to clean my house, right? Um, like, literally, and you know, I know it's a privilege to do that to, to be able to hire somebody, believe me, I know, but I just couldn't even. Bring myself to do because in my head growing up latina it's like no like i need to wash my own stuff and scrub my own oh. toilet and you know and all that stuff but then thinking about it, like working full-time practice i'm an adjunct at a law school right and then i have a kid it just it was making like i was spending all of saturday cleaning you know really? miserable and so yeah. and my husband was telling me you need to hire something like no no i can do it. i can do and then i finally gave in i finally gave it and did it and it was like the best thing ever you know oh i'm so glad i did game you know, changing. it really is. And, and I, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? Oh, because I was too stubborn to like get over it and realize that, yeah, I can do that, but should I do that? And do I want to, and if, you know, if I can hire somebody if I'm at the point where I can thank God to do so do it. And then it will take that off my plate and I can focus on other things, you know, Absolutely. but that's a hard concept.
0: I think it, sometimes to get to. It is to an feel like I extremely hard concept. Them. And I think those of us that grow up in a, I don't know, a middle-class kind of yeah. mindset or even, yeah. I mean, you know, where our parents might have been like scraping by paycheck, yep. to paycheck kind of thing. I mean, the thought of hiring someone to do something that I, of course, am capable of doing. Absolutely. Just horrendous to me. Wrong. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, what kind of spoiled brat am I? Yep. Like, obviously I can do this. I have to tell you, my mind is completely different now. <laughs> I'm like, how many people can I employ? Yeah. And how can I bring a benefit to their world Yeah. by by delegating? And I mean, yeah. I just, I mean, I delegate with the best of them now. And yeah. yeah. because there's so much I could be doing, but it is not at all the thing I should be doing, you know? Right. And getting to that, I mean, I have a friend, Rachel Rogers, who runs, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, an online group, We Should All Be Millionaires. She wrote a book. I love her. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Rachel is amazing. Well, and Rachel talks about million dollar decisions. And I mean, that is such one of them. You know, the whole idea of figuring out what are you caught up in in your day to day life that, as she would call it, is a broke ass decision. That's right. That's right. How do you level that up so that your decision making is leaving you the time and energy so that you can bring in more abundance? And I mean, all the stats show women with abundance, we are amazing at sharing and bringing other people along with us, you know? Right, that's right and putting our money towards things that really matter. So whenever I start thinking about like, oh, Elise, you need to be doing this. I'm like, no, you need to be figuring out how do you start a foundation to you know, yep. help a thousand people rather than clean your guest room toilet. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah,
1: and that's also, you know, the mental load that you know everybody knows about, right? That we bear yeah. as well. It's like, let's figure out if you're carrying the mental load, there's no room for all the other stuff that you need to do that's going to be more beneficial to exactly. your either inner circle, or your community, or and beyond, you know, and
0: yourself, and too. Yourself, right? Yeah. Like, God forbid we actually put ourselves up there on park. Right, Notice how I named us last, right? I did, like, you know, I did, but I mean, I don't know if you've read Fair Play, but I mean, that is. Game changing when we're talking about the equitable division of labor in the home and really Mm -hmm. bringing visibility to that invisible labor that you know we do. Yeah, there's so much happening. You and I could obviously talk for hours. (laughs) I mean. I cannot wait to see pictures of the baby and watch this (laughs) journey. I'm super excited for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you joined me. And I just really appreciate your time. And anybody who's listened, I mean, please subscribe, you know, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And I just hope everyone has a wonderful Monday. As we all probably need a break on Monday. And I can't wait to learn what everyone's maximum mom magic trick is. I think it'll be fun to start figuring out what do we all do and how do we make this all work? We can learn so much from each other. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Nina. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Absolutely. Okay. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.